and welcome to Freedom Fighters Code Grey. This is a TV show where we discuss human trafficking, an injustice that all of our communities are facing. We often think about trafficking as something that happens overseas, in other countries, in other places, not in our own backyard. But sadly, the reality is, is that human trafficking is one of the fastest growing crimes in the world. In fact, we know that here in Ontario, children as young as 12 years old are being targeted for the purposes of exploitation. So today on the show, I'm really excited to have with me Debbie Pond, who's the director and uh, chair of the board at Your Home Awareness and Support Services. Welcome, Debbie. Oh, thanks very much. My privilege. So Debbie, just to begin with, um, if you could share just for our listeners you know, and viewers, some folks may never have heard about human trafficking and they know nothing about it. Can you just explain for us what is human trafficking? Sure. So oftentimes people will say that you, human trafficking is like modern day slavery, hmm. but really it's the manipulation, the exploitation and the control of a person. And it can be by a group of people or one person. And it's through violence or threats of violence to provide a sexual service or a labor. So those are the types of human trafficking that we see in Canada a lot of mm -hmm. in relation to that. So with the definition of human trafficking, I've sometimes seen it broken down in terms of like an acts, a means mm -hmm. and a purpose. Could you break that down for folks like what you know the different acts are how trafficking happens and then the different purposes so the act of course is when a trafficker would approach a person and they're um, that part of them they're luring them then into the act and the means of course is how they do it is the purpose is for exploitation is always the same purpose so the trafficker is looking to exploit that person. Mm. And I understand there's various forms of exploitation, um, exploitation that we see across the globe and then different kinds of exploitation that we see more commonly here in Ontario. So what are some of the different kinds of exploitation that exist globally? And then which ones do we see impact our community? Globally, we see commercial sexual exploitation um, and that is also commonly referred to as sex trafficking. And that can include children under the age of 18. So that's your child exploitation. And then we also see forced labor. And that is where we see the majority of persons who are being trafficked across the world is in forced labor. And then we also have harvesting of organs. Mm -hmm. So that happens. Here in Canada, the most common forms that we see is sex trafficking and forced labor. Uh, to my knowledge, we have not had an organ harvesting investigation or charges laid. Uh, although I do know that Canadians do go abroad to purchase organs, and there is a lot of discussion around the fact that they're probably purchasing organs who have been harvested, so mm -hmm. in other countries around the world. Mm -hmm. This idea of coerced or forced organ removal may, like some folks might just be like, what is that? I've never heard of this before. Um, and you explained a bit, you know, someone going overseas to purchase an organ. Can you give us like a little bit of context and break it down, explain for us what that um, looks like, how it happens, who the individuals are? So in some of the countries around the world, um, it has been suggested that the government, some governments are forcing prisoners that they have to take their organs. Mm -hmm. So it's by force in that way. Or it could be again, like it could be here, organized crime or criminals of opportunity, and sometimes, um, you know, people, because of their poverty, they're feeling forced to give their organs 
because of uh, situations in their family. So mm -hmm. that's often how the organs are harvested by forest. Mm. You mentioned labor trafficking um, and sex trafficking. I wonder if we could also just talk about each of those. Maybe first let's talk about labor trafficking. What is labor trafficking specifically? You know, uh, what types of places does labor trafficking happen here in Ontario? And, and do you have even some examples of labor trafficking that's happened um, mm -hmm. here in Ontario? So labor trafficking, again, is forcing someone, you know, the control and the forcing of someone to do a job. So here in Ontario, course, right here in Barrie in February of this year, there was a large forced labor case that took place. There were 43 Mexicans who had come to Canada thinking they were coming for a job, a better job. They would be able to send money back home. But actually, when they arrived, and you have to think about the fact that, you know, they don't know our culture, they don't speak our language, so they wouldn't have context here in Canada. And they were controlled, so they had their identification take. They were driven to and from work. They were told not to talk to people at the places where they were working. Mm -hmm. They were living within squatter conditions, so many of them living you know, in a, an apartment, a small apartment in a home. Uh, and this is how they were controlled, right? So again, a lot of people don't look at that aspect of the trafficking. There was another case a few years ago in Lindsay at the Wimpy's restaurant where the owner of the Wimpy's restaurant had four forced labor persons working for that restaurant. Mm -hmm. So again, we don't, uh, we don't look in all those places. We know what happens in construction, in agriculture. There was a case out in Vancouver with a nanny. So it happens in many areas. There's lots of talk that some of the salons, the nail salons, that mm. you need to be really cautious and look to see, could they possibly be trafficked? Mm. Because many of the nail salons the young women don't speak English, um, you know, they could be controlled because mm -hmm. we don't have that same conversation with them. So you have to kind of look below uh, what's right in front of you and mm -hmm. peel away some of those layers when we're looking and seeing people here in Canada, mm -hmm. especially here in Ontario. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the kinds of places people are exploited for labor, you mentioned um, you mentioned restaurants as a place, potentially nail salons, um, I know with the 43 Mexicans, some folks were cleaning hotels and motels, yes. right, here in Simcoe County, um, as well as um, we know individuals in agriculture, like you mentioned, and nannies, um, mining and fisheries, that type mm -hmm. of thing, right? And I know um, later we're going to be talking about the signs and indicators so viewers can um, better detect the signs and know how to report potential oh, yeah, situations absolutely. of trafficking because our communities are impacted by this, right? Um, what about sex trafficking? What is sex trafficking? How does it differ from labor trafficking? And where are the kinds of places that sex trafficking takes place here in, in Ontario? So sex trafficking is when there is purchase of sexual services. So uh, the trafficker sometimes may uh, put an advertisement on the internet on particular websites. It could still sometimes be in print. We often see that as well. But the trafficker is forcing, and they do that through the manipulation. Mm -hmm. They through that through building a trusting relationship with the young woman generally, although sometimes young boys are trafficked as well. Uh, we see here in Ontario that 26% of the young women are under the age of 26. So mm -hmm. that is a huge amount of young girls under the age of 18 is common. 
uh, the Canadian Women's Foundation a number of years ago did a report and they said the average age of a girl that's forced into sex trafficking is 12 to 13 or 14 years old. Mm. So we know that sometimes it will happen too when they're younger. But if you look, um, sex trafficking can happen in massage parlors, strip clubs, pornography, film of pornography, mm. uh, escort services. So any of those kinds of, of services or establishments, you may see sex trafficking in those. Mm. I know we're going to talk a little bit later about, um, you know, how that process happens, that recruitment that sometimes is referred to as the grooming process. But for right now, I'm just wondering if you could share a little bit about who are the traffickers? Like, who are the people that um, are, are, you know, behind the scenes kind of starting this crime and, and targeting these young people? So traffickers come from all walks of life, and I often say, traffickers and persons um, who are purchasing, they're not born. So they have a story as well, usually mm -hmm. in their life to tell. But they come from all walks of life. Some of them are associated to gangs. Some of them are organized crime related. And some of them are just criminals and they see an opportunity. So they take that opportunity to, um, to traffic, to lure and groom a young girl or a young boy into that. In terms of uh, demographic, um, are men traffickers, women, youth, like who are like traffickers in terms of um, gender, age, that type of thing? Is there okay. a specific demographic that's more likely or, you know, more commonly, sorry, um, a trafficker? Could you share? Yeah. Stats Canada put out a report last year and these are related to police reported occurrences. And with the police, there were over 1,220 occurrences between uh, 2014 to 2016. And they found that 81% were males of the mm -hmm. traffickers. Although females, we are seeing more of an increase of female traffickers. So if you see the news reports, you will often see sometimes that they will identify that they've charged a young woman as well. So we see that young women are being engaged more and more in this activity. Sometimes they're uh, standalone and sometimes they work with a male partner. Mm -hmm. So you may see them as a trafficker on their own or working with a male trafficker as well. Mm -hmm. I understand that youth can also be traffickers as well. Um, in Ottawa, I believe yes. it was in April 2019, where there was a group of youth working with a 26-year-old man to recruit and exploit people within their high school. And so this is, you know, um, an injustice where we see men, women, and youth exploiting other people, and then we're seeing men, women, and children being exploited, right, in our communities. So, Debbie, thank you so much for sharing with us. We're going to take a short break, folks, and we're going to come back in a minute to talk more about human trafficking, what it looks like, and how it's happening in our communities. To Freedom Fighters Code Grey. We're here with my guest Debbie Pond, who is the director and chair of the board at Your Home Awareness and Support Services. Thank you, Debbie, for being here. Uh, we were just chatting about traffickers, that traffickers can be 
men, women, and youth. And so now I'm just wondering if you could share with us, like, what is the most common type of trafficker here in Ontario? Um, how do they position themselves and who are the different kinds of, of traffickers? So the most common form of trafficker that you would see in relation to sex trafficking would be the Romeo boyfriend. So what they do is they will build a trusting relationship with a young woman and they will pretend that they are her boyfriend, that they're in a real relationship. Uh, for the trafficker, that young girl is really just a commodity, mm -hmm. a way to make money. For the young girl, she's starting to really trust and believe that they're building a life together, they're building a relationship. So that's part of the trust that he wants her to think, uh, you know, listening to her dreams, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So this is often what we see is the Romeo pimp, mm -hmm. often. Can you talk about that psychological manipulation, like maybe a bit about the process and how that happens and how the trafficker positions himself as a boyfriend? Mm -hmm. So the boyfriend, the trafficker will often talk about, you know, I hear you, I understand you, what are your dreams? So every mm -hmm. young girl wants someone who listens to them. You know, maybe they've had a difficult time at school or they've had some problems with their parents at home or they're feeling neglected you know, many of those vulnerabilities in young women. And the trafficker can see those vulnerabilities. They're very good at picking up those clues. Mm. Um, and often those clues are when they're on social media, of course. So the young girl will see that this guy is listening to me. He's starting to really enjoy my company. We're spending lots of time together. You know, he's buying her nice gifts, taking her to nice restaurants. So he's really building that trusting relationship. He's starting to isolate her mm. from her family. So that's part of it from her friends. So that's how he builds up that trust with her mm. is listening. And, and what you're highlighting too is these individuals um, are expert psychological manipulators, Absolutely. right? Like they prey on the needs of an individual. Mm -hmm. um, so when we look at the needs of each and every human being, like what um, potential indicators make someone potentially more vulnerable to being trafficked? You know, who are the people that are targeted by traffickers? So they fall into a number of groups, obviously. So uh, our indigenous women of girls are very vulnerable. Mm -hmm. We know that they are overrepresented in relation to human trafficking, especially in sex trafficking. I think some stats vary between 50 to 70 percent, right, of That's trafficked correct. persons yes. are indigenous. And the youth too, our indigenous youth in some cities, they're three to 4% of our population nationally, yet they're 90% of the youth that you see on the streets mm -hmm. who are being exploited, so that's huge. Newcomers to Canada, migrant workers, again, they come, many of them don't uh, speak our language, they don't know our customs, our cultures, some of them may come from countries where police are not someone that they would go to in times of assistance. But here, you know, we're trying to educate them that they can trust the police to go to the police. Even sometimes they don't trust organizations, community organizations who work with them. So it's building a whole different mindset for them when they come to Canada. Uh, we often see too young girls who are vulnerable coming out of um, children's aid or group homes. Yeah. Uh, we see that quite a bit as, as in relation to the trafficking piece. But we also see uh, young boys too are being um, trafficked as well. And a lot of young people, they're vulnerable to, because you know maybe they've been abused sexually or physically before, so we hear often that 
in the stories from the girls that we work with, that's often another situation. Uh, if they're homeless, you know, homelessness sometimes is, it's not seen in plain view, it's hidden. So you don't really see youth who are homeless or young women who are homeless, but that's another place that we see a lot of it. Poverty plays a role in it. If they're uh, a minority, racialized, Though that all plays a part in it. The LGBTQ plus community, huge vulnerabilities there. We also see young people or people with learning disabilities mm. or psychological disabilities. They're often targeted again because of their vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. I also understand that individuals with mental health conditions or individuals who have substance use issues um, are also targeted by traffickers. Um, also people who are bullied, maybe feeling isolated and lonely. And with all those different examples of individuals who traffickers target, like it makes me think anyone can be trafficked, right? Absolutely, that's a slogan actually that we actually use. It mm. can happen to anyone. Mm. So it doesn't matter whether you come from you know, wealth or whether you come from poor or whether you're sort of a middle class, it can happen to anyone. Anyone can be vulnerable. It might just be one day that you're vulnerable, and that is the day that a trafficker may contact with you, and that vulnerability will turn into something else. So it, yes, it can happen to anyone. Do you have any um, examples, like either from news stories or from your work, where you might have permission to share um, just like an unlikely story of an individual who was uh, targeted and, and, and forced into a trafficking situation? So uh, a young girl that I work with, um, she grew up in a difficult situation. Um, her mother was a drug dealer. And so she didn't grow up with support in her family. Her father was not really in the picture. And so from a young age, she was really groomed into the lifestyle. Um, there were gangs that were part of her community. She was really being forced and pushed towards being part of a gang. So that lifestyle, you know, was really setting her up to be very vulnerable. And that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. She was targeted by a trafficker and then she was trafficked by that trafficker for a mm -hmm. number of years. And she was trafficked um, in and out of countries internationally wow. as opposed to domestic trafficking. Mm -hmm. Thanks for sharing that with us, Debbie. Um, so that individual grew up like in, in a situation where there was um, different things happening in the home that you kind of mentioned groomed her for a particular lifestyle. Um, can you think of you know anyone that you just you might not expect that that person would be trafficked because of yeah their upbringing or their mm -hmm. home or you know you know like I. I uh, I'm aware of you know individuals who are studying at prestigious universities, and because of the vulnerability of you know schools expensive, then they're targeted by traffickers, that type of thing. Yeah, I'm aware of a young girl who was going to a very good university, and she was trafficked at the university mm. again. She had some vulnerabilities uh, in her life, and she was out with friends, and at a club and she was targeted by a trafficker. Mm -hmm. So, and oftentimes in that situation too, it may not be the male trafficker who will approach them first. It could be a woman who will come and start to sit down mm -hmm. and compliment you, maybe about the clothes you're wearing or compliment your hair. They'll have a bit of a conversation and then the male trafficker will come in and that's, he's really the one that's going to then groom and lure her. Mm -hmm. So they often work in pairs 
it's, um, they work in many places. You see it mm -hmm. happening to young girls. With all this information that you're sharing with, you know, traffickers posing as boyfriends, I know one stat that was shared, I believe through Global News, is that a third of the traffickers, a third of them pose as boyfriends, right? Um, and you're, you know, sharing about different vulnerabilities that individuals have and, and feeling lonely and isolated and bullied and that type of thing. Um, it makes me think, you know, when I was a youth and I was, you know, searching for love and I was searching for love in what I would identify as the wrong places, um, if a Romeo pimp had come along and, you know, promised me, you know, this life together and given me material things and offered me affection and kindness and, and support when I felt lonely, like I would have been an individual that someone could have targeted for the purposes of exploitation, mm -hmm. right? So I think it's just important for our viewers to know that, yeah, trafficking can happen to anyone, literally anyone, even when there's no risk factors present mm -hmm. in someone's life, right? At the Canadian Women Foundation that you mentioned, I know in one of their reports, they identified that a huge risk factor is wanting to be loved. And as human beings, like, who that's doesn't? Normal. That's normal, yeah. right? Like That's what every young girl wants to be. They want mm -hmm. to be cared for and loved and feel like they're part of the group that they're growing up with. Mm -hmm. So they're looking for that. And if they're not finding that and someone comes along, then they're really vulnerable to that, of course, right? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. of course. So, Debbie, where does the demand come from? The demand, you know, that's perpetuating, let's start with labor trafficking. Mm -hmm. Like, how does this play out in society? So when you look at the demand cycle, oftentimes you hear it mostly in relation to sex trafficking, but what I really encourage people to do is, where do you fit in that demand cycle hmm. as a normal average Canadian person living here in Ontario? So you think about the clothing that we wear. You know, we're wanting cheaper clothing. So is that demand driving to have sweatshops? Uh, you look overseas to some of the situations in other countries, uh, the kind of conditions that they're working in, the pay that they're getting, so you look at the clothes you're wearing, you look at the coffee, you look at chocolate, you look at cobalt mines in Congo, young children, eight, nine, 10 years old, mm. are in the mines working. So I think we need to look at a larger scale of how do we contribute by what we're purchasing here in North America to possibly labor conditions in other countries around the world. Mm. Would you have any recommendations of just how someone would go about making more sustainable choices, you know, shifting their lifestyle to be more aware of products and places they may be going and purchasing that are really yeah, creating a demand for this injustice in the world? I think if you start to look, if you have a clothing line that you're really interested in and you buy that, I think you just go online and you start to do some research to see do they have a commitment to have sustainable ethical practices, you know, and if they do, then that's a clothing line maybe you want to purchase and support. Uh, certainly if you go into Google, Fair Trade Canada is one of the most common ones. They have lots of lists of organizations, businesses, you know, across the country where you can purchase uh, clothing and coffee, chocolate, all sorts of items that are ethically produced. So I think that's one, and I think you're gonna probably put up some other links to some of those sites. But I think, as Canadians, I think we're called to do research ourselves, mm. to look at where the product is coming for, what kind of practices they have. Yeah, yeah thank you so much, Debbie. Um, each of us, 
as individual persons, right, we have the responsibility to make those choices and um, to do our due diligence to understand where things are coming from and, and how they're being produced. And so um, for our viewers, we're going to be posting some links just to help share with you some ways that you could practice sustainable shopping, purchasing, to help ensure that the products that you're purchasing are not perpetuating um, the demand for labor trafficking globally, but even locally as well. So Debbie, what about the demand for sex trafficking? Where does that come from? What does that look like? And how does that operate in our society? So the demand on that side of the things, it can be anyone. It can be your brother, your husband, um, you know, your son, a nephew. They come from all walks of life. So uh, they come from labor, just labor. They come from high level jobs like judges, police officers, ministers. Uh, so anyone can be part of the demand for sex trafficking. So they're looking to buy the sexual services, you know, of a young girl. And we're seeing the demand is what drives sex trafficking for mm -hmm. sure. And so we all say if we didn't have the demand, then we wouldn't have the issue of sex trafficking. And often too, we see that the demand is driving the age younger and younger. So we hear that, um, men are asking for younger girls. Wow. So that is what the trafficker will give because that's the demand that is there mm -hmm. for that. Debbie, that you've shared so much information and I know some of it could be like overwhelming for folks just to process and to figure out, whoa, this, this is happening in our community. This is a terrible injustice. Really quickly, could you just share with our viewers one way that they could be a part of the fight to end human trafficking here locally in our community? I think uh, one way they can do it is start to have the conversation. I think the more we talk about it, and especially with their children and their lives, and that could be a grandchild, a niece or a nephew, it could be your own children or someone whose life you're engaged in. I think if they start to have the conversations within their families, their networks, and we bring it so it's not a clandestine crime, it's something that we talk about normally at the dinner table. I think that's a really big important piece because the more we talk about it, the more that there's not the shame that's behind uh, in relation to a lot of the girls who are trying to exit mm. out of the trafficking that we see mm. them in. I love that, you know, just talk about it, start these conversations at your dinner table with whoever. Um, you know, the word advocate seems scary to people. Like you need to be behind an organization or you need to be behind, like you need to be a politician to be an advocate, but really anyone can be an advocate. Anyone can, you know, stand for justice. And so um, viewers, thank you so much for taking the time today to listen to the show, to learn more about human trafficking, this issue that's happening in our own backyard. And we hope that we will catch you next time on Freedom Fighters Code Grey. Thank you so much, Debbie, for You're being welcome. here to share your knowledge and your insight with us. Um, we hope that just through raising awareness that we'll be able to combat this issue. Lastly, if you um, know someone that's in a situation of trafficking, if they're in immediate danger, please call 911. Um, if you are looking for supports and services, you can call our Canadian National Human Trafficking Hotline and the number is 1-833-900-1010. Again, that's 1-833-900-1010. Thanks again so much for watching and we hope to catch you next week. Thank you.